0: Hey, this is the I Don't Heart Radio podcast, and I'm just going to drop right into it. Sometimes we try to, you know, segue in. Yeah, we ease our way. But this is it. This is the podcast. We go through uh, and find... Totally under the radar music. I don't think I've like described what the podcast is in a little bit. Yeah. Well, you You go
1: through and find under the radar music, right?
0: I go, uh huh, and I find something that not like a lot of people are listening to. Not enough. Not enough. Uh, what was the the old? I think it was a Pitchfork YouTube
1: thing where there was a underrated over over under.
0: Oh yeah. Is that a
1: or was that like an empty? What was that bit? Or was that just a channel called Over Under, and they would have celebrities say whether things were over or underrated?
0: Right. I remember this. I don't remember which media conglomerate was responsible for it.
1: Well, anyway, this is underrated exclusive.
0: Yes. Things that should be popping off more, I go and I find them. It's very fun and cool, and I think that it's kind of like a lost art because, you know, it's you log into your thing, and the algorithm goes... Have you heard, uh, you know, DJ Khalid?
1: Also, there's this, um, you know, that's like you log into your Spotify or whatever. And then in the main record industry world, um, in just even indie labels, there's the concept of, you know, if I should, if you're good enough, you know, I'll hear about you. Is sort of what all of the main uh, indie (laughs) labels say on their websites. And um, I think that that's lazy and bullshit because... uh, I just don't think that that's necessarily I don't how think it's true it, and it's I don't not think it's how true. it should work. Maybe it it was, maybe it was at one point, maybe things were different, yeah. but it's not how it is
0: now. Well, I think it's lazy because over the last, I think that we're on like week 20, just mm-hmm. about uh, you know, so over the last 20 weeks I have found at least 20 people that should be, you know,
1: some of them some of them were on
0: labels. Oh, for sure. But they should be on bigger ones. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just, it's very fun and not hard to go and find stuff that's cool. Uh, Yeah. And, you know, there used to be people that were professional go find cool things people.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's maybe why we started this was because it's a bit of a, you were sick of hearing me complain about they're not being not liking a lot of the music. I guess that the algorithm was just serving me and just feeling that it, like there wasn't that, that much cool new music and you were like there is you're just not yeah looking. <laughs> um and also I was getting sick of cuz we both were doing live sound and I just felt like over the years um doing sound of venues sometimes I found there were a few times where I found cool music that I didn't know about from doing sound for the shows that definitely happened. Um, and that, w- those were like beautiful times where it's like, I'm getting paid to be at the show. I found the super cool band, like everything's great. Um, but the majority of the time I was actually just listening to music less for fun. So this is kind of trying to undo that. Um, cause I think it's a combination of like when your workplace is loud sound, sometimes yeah. you just want like silence or a podcast. Um, and as you are currently listening to a podcast, we are not discouraging you from listening to podcasts. However, we wanted to kind of like uh, foster that childish, like happy kind of find just excitement over finding new yes, music.
0: Discovery. It feels good. It gives you a new, fresh dopamine.
1: Well, I think it keeps your brain wiggly, you yep. know, uh, it keeps it ready to absorb. People get so stuck in who they are and how they define You know, they think of just like their whatever they listen to in high school or college is like this defining, right, thing, and then they're defined.
0: It's a really because
1: it is defining. That's like there's albums that define times for me, um, but I don't want them to define my life.
0: And I think that that's a huge (laughs) chicken or the egg thing. Yeah, because. Uh, you know, the neuroplasticity that you have when you're a child and the way that things imprint on you and leave emotional impact, uh, if, you know, from the age of like 14 to 20. Yeah. You know, I think um, it's
1: even up through your mid 20s. You still got some goo in there.
0: There's ready goo. to be formed, but it slows but down. It's it slows down. But. The environmental impact. I, i'm I'm just not totally sold on the idea that it's like necessarily harder or impossible to learn and create new neural pathways. I think that society and culture and like what you have to do as a human being mm-hmm. um, discourages it discourages. Well, so
1: it. I don't think it's um I think it is harder, but I think it's far from impossible. I think it just happens really naturally, both in society and it is easier for your brain as it is less fully formed but i think just because it's like slightly harder doesn't Mm -hmm. mean it's far from impossible and it's even like i think that's what they say with people that um quit sometimes doing their whatever job or whatever was an engaging task as they get older and then they slide very much faster into dementia or alzheimer's or uh you know it's something about being engaged Engaged, yeah keeps Everything well oiled in the in the old brain machine. <laughs>
0: uh, I would counter it with the um. There's kind of a fault that the child genius fallacy. Okay. Uh, you know, look at Mozart they made their greatest works by the age of 17. Okay. You know, something like that. Yeah. Um, and then that gets, like, touted out. A- and, you know, like, young performers. of Like, yeah. look at this eight-year-old pianist. Oh, like, I just know a yeah, lot of eight-year-old pianists. Yeah, I pianists. know, I know. Uh, uh, eight-year-old violinists. You
1: are told whether you are, are or are not a prodigy in that world. Uh-huh. And you are very aware of where you stand on the spectrum of prodigy by eight, sure. if not earlier.
0: And I think that there is an it it's almost like uh it's kind of this fallback that uh when we're creating this environment uh people go like ah we got a good 9 year old great uh i'm going <laughs> to fire all of my other 9 year olds and just focus on this good one
1: this one's great this one's this, got a lot of potential yeah.
0: and uh the other 9 year olds could have been great too yes. yeah. uh so performers writers and all of that um there are a few examples of like successful prodigies but there are way more examples of like crash and burn prodigies yeah Uh, you mean
1: the slow like like slowly chipping away at at becoming great at a craft as opposed to just a
0: Um, is that what you mean no so i mean uh like uh, what is a crash
1: and burn prodigy
0: okay i'm gonna go i'm gonna go violin world i'm gonna do two examples okay um one is uh michael rabin okay Mm -hmm. super super good at like age 12 uh like super good yeah you know like incredible and then um at like age 17 had a nervous breakdown yeah. where they felt like they, you know, like lost it because there's something, uh, like this is like pretty common when you, when you like preternaturally just like gravitate towards something at like age five, Yeah, yeah. you're not actually learning fundamentals and like how to sustain a career within mm-hmm. it and how to, um, like retain the mechanical skill that you need as you enter into an adult body. Uh-huh. So Michael Rabin falls apart at like age seventeen.
1: Well, I uh, also think there's something to being so good so early that you feel like you have to be getting better and better, and then I think that that pressure,
0: because I, I mean, there's the emotional thing, but I'm gonna I'm gonna serve up a second violinist. Okay, serve. So uh, Michael Rabin crashes and burns, loses everything, dies. Um, Actually, dies. Dies. Yeah, in a bathtub. What? Yep. Uh, sad. Very, very sad. sad. Very sad. Okay. Um, Yehudi Menuhin. Uh, incredible at age ten, um, and really defined like they're ten and they're defining what it is to be a performer. Uh huh. Has the same thing. Nervous breakdown at seventeen, uh, uh, or you know, seventeen and nineteen. Uh, feels like they have lost all of their mechanical ability. Spends twenty years not giving up and essentially relearns the instrument yeah, and then defines in another uh, way of thinking and learning and pedagogy. Um, And in his writings, his argument is that he didn't actually learn the instrument that like at age, like when he's full of like all of that youth juice. Yeah. It's that when he became an actual thinking human being, he did not know how to perform. Or how to play.
1: So what was happening with the, when he, did you call it youth juice there? Yeah. When he was full of youth juice, what was going on? What did he say?
0: You know, like, uh, like a fucking, it's just like freak, you know, Uh, we, we can be freakishly good at something Mm -hmm. or like have, uh, and it's, you know, it's drilled into you. But you don't think
1: it was emotional? Because I think that there's, like, a a thoughtlessness sometimes to being, like, young and amazing. And then uh-huh. as soon as you have more of an awareness of the pressures and that, uh, like, of your surroundings and your society and your parents yeah. and expectations sure. and how many people's lives and careers rely on you, uh, that can become crushing. Because it, there has to be... To flowing with music, uh-huh. you know um, that like okay. So the reason you want to get really good at an instrument or anything, like the reason you want to get very good at the fundamentals of any sort of craft is that to make art, you must then be able to let ideas kind of exist in their um, non-real forms, and then they can flow mm-hmm. through you, through the body into reality. You yeah. know, and if you aren't if you don't, the less you know about um, how to create the sounds that are in your head, the, le- the less it, it just is harder to let them come out. You know, there's blockages on mm-hmm. the way.
0: Um, uh, I'm not denying the existence of like an emotional block, uh-huh. like for sure, but I'm just, I'm also saying that in like the case of Menuhin, his argument he was he felt that like he didn't know. He that. didn't actually learn. Uh-huh. Like that was his fundamental. And then through a process of relearning the instrument and relearning how to like hold his body and all of these things yeah. that weren't actually taught to him. I mean, that
1: very well could be because I mean, that's a huge part of my, my, I mean, my mom gets a lot of very, very talented young prodigy esque piano students that mm-hmm. then her focus is teaching them technique. Right. And sometimes has to totally change totally how they change. play.
0: Yeah. And, uh, I mean, this is this goes into sports. This is the Tim Tebow problem. Yeah. Uh, for any of those football fans out there, why do you but, know this? Um, because <laughs> because it's very interesting. Uh-huh. Um, and there Tim... is a
1: funny crossover in that, like I feel like there's a, a a big divide in people that are attracted to music or sports. Um, in but that it's actually quite similar in like as far as like body.
0: Yeah. Like when an, the an athlete
1: it. And when an athlete is good, I think that they're, I mean, I don't know, I'm not into sports, but I right. think that when people become legendary, there's something artful to how they play.
0: Absolutely. Um. So like the Tim Tebow thing is that um, very athletic, powerful, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, he was phenomenal in high school and college, but he threw the ball wrong. Uh huh. okay he his like his stance was like technically bad okay um and he threw like with a weird angle mm-hmm. uh and the thing is that he made plays in high school and college uh but then when he got drafted into the NFL um every single coach and like uh you know trainer was like you have to fix how you throw uh because it's not it's not going to work yeah it, like the way yeah, that and you're working with thing... receivers that are used to like catching a ball in a certain way. Mm-hmm. You're not going to make plays. You're not going to connect. And he insisted. He was like, no, this God has me. blessed me um, with my magic arm. Right. He's also a huge dickhead. Uh-huh. Uh, but like God gave me a magic arm and I don't have to adjust my play style. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he didn't and he crashed and burned.
1: Yeah. I mean, so I think that some, so it's like, Learning the technique, the technical way, the way that um, people have over hundreds of years, you know, perfected in an, uh, any sort of art form is, it's kind of the, the classic idiom. Is this an idiom? Learn the rules to break the rules? Um, Maybe. Okay. Yeah. So, um, it's like you... That, that's like a thing that people always say, right? For sure. But it is it's true in that like maybe his weird way of throwing could be the next generation because I think that that's where people get stuck. I was talking mm. to a friend about this recently. Is that like like my way? Well, how do you know my way is not better than the technical way? And and I don't think I think that that is actually like a very beautiful way of thinking. Yeah. Um because that creates innovation because there is sometimes a new way to do something that's even better. Uh-huh. Sometimes. Um, sometimes, but you need to figure that out by doing by learning the the you know, quote-unquote right way and then you adjust it to being your you 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 need to compare and con- contrast and then if you know the right way, you know, and in your way is better, the world will see. Because everyone wants to do what's you know, the thing that's best is going to rise to the top. Um as far mm. no.
0: No. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> we don't live in a meritocracy.
1: Well <laughs> All right. Either way, maybe with if you're Tim Tebow, you know, if his way had worked, you know, if he mm-hmm. if he had been correct, I think that
0: Right. But I mean, that would have also that would have relied on the fact that there was already like millions of dollars put into Tim Tebow at that point.
1: I'm not saying you know what I'm saying. I mean, there's a reason we have this podcast. We're not we don't think that there's a equal playing field of all people starting in this. same Well, uh position (laughs)
0: right uh and i'm not i'm not a a but i am saying
1: that if you have gotten to a place and um your style of doing something is actually superior i think it will become noticed or people will listen to you and be interested in your technique and people will try to teach your technique and then it'll you know the idea will proliferate through the art form but i think that to know that you're you can't be like it's other people's job who know who have learned the technique correctly to then learn that my way is the right way. You need to prove it to the world by learning the quote unquote right way and then if your way is better. This is why learning technique matters.
0: Yeah. Uh, how which do we is to say, okay here? So the thing is that <laughs> I, I think that we're still we're very, very capable of producing uh new work and great work and learning new things and listening to new music. And I think that our oh, that's our, how we got our it. internal <laughs> flexibility is greater than we believe it to be. Uh, so like, you know, that those are some examples of like, okay, prodigies and all of that. But then there are also like composers that wrote their greatest work at the age of like 55, you know, for mm-hmm. every Mozart, there's a uh, Beethoven.
1: Right. Yeah, and I mean, it's a less... There's something so thrilling to the story of just, like, this magic child who's yeah. just producing...
0: Oh, I think that those are great stories, Amazing but I... work, yeah, but I then... think that the actual truth of these magic children is usually sad and bad.
1: You mean, like, a child actor kind of...
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. ...outcome. Uh-huh. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, you don't want... To you know, the idea of peaking I think is, like, really interesting. Uh-huh. I was thinking about this the other day, actually. Because, like, you always want to feel like you're at your peak. You, you don't want to, like, think yeah. that you peaked and then the rest of your life is downhill. But if you were to zoom out at the end, if you get to do a whole kind of, like, watch oh, or, like a we'll movie, watch. there's sure, going to there be a p- time where you're like, that was
0: the peak, right? Yeah, but I think that, I think that <laughs> once you start Going like, oh, I peaked. I think that that's like self-defeating. Exactly. Exactly. uh, Yeah, I think think that
1: that ever getting that in your head, you want to feel like you are constantly peaking.
0: You want to feel like you're constantly (laughs) peaking, but I think that it's more about, you have to be constantly searching out. I, I think that it comes down to constantly seeking out new things. I totally
1: agree. That's why I, even if I don't like an artist's evolution, I am so happy for them when I hear, a new record that sounds totally different. Like they've yep. gone down a new path because even if I don't like the path as much and it makes me like their, you know, new music much less than mm. the old music. Uh, I'm happy for them that they're growing Yeah, and changing.
0: I, I mean, I also think, so, I mean, this also points to like, kind of like a uh, American, like binary, like way of thinking of when you go like, Oh, this is the peak, you know, uh-huh. like this, this is the valley. This is the peak. Right. These are the only two things. Uh-huh. Uh, but when, when the, when the mindset of it is, oh, we're just going and doing something different instead of like good, bad, one star, ten stars. Yeah, like approaching, like living life and experiencing it through that way of thinking. Uh, I think is better (laughs) i think
1: so too yeah yeah no i mean that's why i like that's uh i was really starting to feel that i was really stuck in the what i liked in 2013 when i was really when i formed a very distinct music taste um around that time and uh, doesn't make me like those things any less. I'm, I'm still a huge fan of the music that I loved then. But getting into some different genres these days, like getting more into hyper-pop stuff and getting into... Like, um, I'm just trying to be... Because there's some stuff that became what, like, indie rock genre... Like, I just never... Was fully sold on the um, everyone does Mark Mac Demarco.
0: Oh yeah, that's And sucked. I think
1: because of that being turned off to that, which felt like that was like indie zoomer exclusive.
0: Right, right. You
1: know, um, that made me kind of pigeon my whole myself back into just be like what I liked then. And I'm trying to just branch out nowadays and s- see that so many other things
0: happened. Yeah, that maybe a, I a lot has happened. A lot has happened. A lot has happened.
1: Um. <laughs> It's nice to explore with an open mind. It just, it takes time. I think that's what's, uh, people become busier as they get older.
0: Right. Which I think is bad. So we're going to, and this is awesome because this, all of this actually feeds into the second half. Oh yeah. Uh, we're, we're going to get into the, the music that we're going to talk about. Uh, but before we do. Share this podcast.
1: Yeah, when you share the podcast, um, like you repost the, I, we post it on Instagram on I Don't Heart Radio Pod. If you can share this podcast uh, on your story, it gets, like, w- s- exponential more listeners for each share. You might not think, you might think, like, I have 100 followers. What does this do? Um it matters it like sharing is the biggest thing you can do for um, spreading the word if you like the music that we talk about if you like the ethos if you like us um, as like people uh, it, it just it does so much for you to share it um, and, and it enables us to make more
0: yeah. Uh, we are also going to play some shows on the road. We're doing Pittsburgh on the uh, September sixteenth, yes, and New York at Berlin on September seventeenth.
1: Um, and uh, Pittsburgh is at Collision.
0: Collision, yeah. All
1: right, Pittsburgh at Collision, September sixteenth. Uh, New York, we're going to be playing Berlin on the seventeenth, and tickets for the Berlin show are available online. Uh, there's a Linktree link to get your tickets pre-sale. Oh, yeah. It makes a huge difference. That's in the Instagram bio for at summer like the season music. Um, if you can get a pre-sale ticket, uh, it makes us look like people care. Super
0: pros. Um,
1: yeah. It's, re- you know, and, and when people seem like they care, then people who are in positions of um, taste making then care yeah. um, about you. It's a whole care circle, a cycle of care, if you will. Yeah. So it makes a huge difference. If you uh, are in the New York area, please get those tickets. Uh, the bands we're playing with on the 17th, Monograms, Atlas Engine, Summer Like the Season. Uh, we're going to be coming out from Detroit. We love New York. We're very excited. Get, pick up a ticket. And also, uh, we are coming to Indianapolis on the 30th Halloween uh, of show. Of October. So a whole month later. Yeah. Fast forward. Um. 30th of October at Healer, there will be tickets to that. They don't, They're. this is just a getting you hyped. But yeah. it's going to be great. Are,
0: these are things that are happening.
1: Um, And then there's also, if you're in the Detroit area, I believe we are playing some September shows on the 25th and 26th. We can yes. talk more about those next week, probably. Oh, yeah, let's do that. Okay.
0: Uh, okay, so let's talk about Work Wife.
1: Work Wife.
0: Work Wife. I like that name. Yeah, I do too. (laughs) Uh, It is the solo project of Meredith Lamp. Uh, They're from Brooklyn. Uh, She describes it as uh, containing dark humor, blending melancholy stories of her own struggles with anxiety and failed relationships with exceptionally catchy melodies and instrumentation. That's a nice description. That is a nice description. Yeah, I, I really
1: the thing that um struck me right away off the song that you played uh was that there was like it starts with this like I love when people play um instruments and make them sound like they're singing. Yeah. So there's like a guitar line, like a hook. Yeah. That is played very much like a vocal
0: it, it's the george harrison thing it's so
1: expressive it's yeah it's
0: four notes but it's very very um you know sing-song quality very Absolutely catchy and beautiful super catchy yeah uh so the song is called ride ride and i listen to it's two and a half minutes long i listen to it like 10 times just in a row uh-huh. it's super rewarding um because there's there's so much happening here, and this is the this is the only song they they've got a couple of EPs like prior to 2020, uh-huh. um, which is also a, a thing that I'm really love. I, I'm really loving seeing a lot of people do this huge growth. Huge growth, growth. yeah. Um, during the time, like when we have time to do stuff, it turns out we're better at it. Yeah, um, absolutely. And uh, the EP is kind of lean, like folk, and it's like perfectly good, you know. But yeah. it doesn't, it did, do, it didn't make me f- like feel the feelings that yeah. this track did. Uh, and it's a single off of an EP that's coming out in December. This is I, I'm recommending this based off of this one track because it's incredible, and I think that it's gonna, it should. be blow the fuck up.
1: I think it's a really cool use of auto-tune vocals. I think that I'm finding more and more bands doing what I would consider more creative auto-tune kind of just like popping it in in moments Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: um, kind of giving this like, uh, is it or isn't it? Where you're like, is it auto-tune? Then then intentionally kind of like pulling back the curtain for a second being like, yes, I'm auto-tuning. and. But, but the, in a
0: what's really fun on this is yeah. if you like listen really deeply, it's blended with a non-tuned vocal. Yeah, and no, that's that totally what's makes, giving it yeah. that effect. Uh-huh. Um, and and it's sometimes like one is one more forward than, forward than the forward other. Back. Yeah, and that's what it
1: feels like.
0: Uh which is to say that the the sense of depth on this is incredible. And every single time you listen to it, you're gonna find a new piece of thing like a new musical blob like Uh just in the background off to the sides they are doing um real uh real big dick energy on the mix here. Yeah because uh I think that I think that it is very like small energy to to do the like everything to the front of the mix. Everything like really, really, really like pushed forward because it robs us of the the, the enjoyment of finding new things. Yeah, and the also rewatch, the rewatch. <laughs> I love the rewatch, and so so much of like modern mixing templates are just like we gotta shove the shit to the front because we gotta keep them, you know, keep them in their seats. Uh, but- I actually think that's why people
1: like Taylor Swift. I think there's a lot of sound design on those songs.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. That
1: there's there's um, kind of, like, uh, there's the pop push. I mean, I'm not a huge Taylor Swift fan myself, uh-huh. but I think that that's why there's a big crossover of, like, uh, artsy music people also liking Taylor Swift. Because, like, there was a one album that came out over the last few years that everyone right, told me to listen right. to. I listened to it, I, I felt nothing. But yeah. I think the reason that it hooks beyond just people that like popular music is because there is, there's a lot of depth to the mix in the, in the sound design um, that on re- re-listen, new things can pop out.
0: Yeah, yeah. Tay-Tay's got that big energy. <laughs> so uh, Ride Ride, it has so many things like pushed to the back that are really interesting. There's um, like these different rhythm hooks on the guitar that are like way, way back there. And it's really fucking cool. Um, and in between verses, there are like these cool vocal freezes uh-huh. that just they're just way, way back. And I just feel so drawn into this every time. And it's super dynamic. Yeah. Like drums come in really huge versus small, big, small front, back. It's really it's doing a lot.
1: Uh, what's the song called again?
0: Ride Ride.
1: OK. OK.
0: Yeah, ride, 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 ride by work, wife. Yeah, and that's uh, that's the track.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm ready to hear more. I'm definitely gonna check this EP out when it comes. It's an EP, not an album.
0: It's an EP. I think it's six tracks. Uh, comes out in December. I pre-ordered it. Like I just I just hopped on it. I want to get the. I'm very very interested in what the rest of this is. Yeah. Um. Uh. Which is so. This is pretty. Uh, you know work wife is kind of coming out of nowhere uh, and that's what I think is fun about this show there's no you know there's no press for work wife there's no lore tell us your lore work wife tell us some lore we'll uh (laughs) we'll update everybody with lore yeah. If you wanna
1: Oh, we have one other update. Sorry to I think oh, yeah. that I, I think we said it and then we didn't record on and then we didn't say it on re record. Oh. And that was that old Fires copy. Did we say it on re record? I don't think I we don't did. I don't
0: remember. Old
1: Fire's copy was written by some very talented writer at their label.
0: Uh not by themselves. Not by
1: themselves. But Correct. So corner. just a correction. Um I, it was we all he agrees, very good writer. We don't know the writer's name still, so it's not Right. But they're but good. Shout out whoever wrote for that label's uh
0: their copy. copy. It's incredible. Good job. Yeah. Yeah. So this song is very good and everyone should listen to it. It's two it's two minutes. It's two and a half minutes. So you can listen to it over and over. Get it like crammed into your brain. And I do appreciate I appreciate the Um, if if we're gonna do like for fans of yeah, uh, Imogen Heap. Oh yeah, that's where I'm. That's where you're. yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. I not enough Imogen Heap. I feel like so amazing. Yep, and was sort of on the forefront of people's minds for a while, and then I think it's kind of. What is she doing now? What is she doing these days? I
0: mean, good albums.
1: She's still doing good albums? Still doing good albums. All right, that's albums. on me.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, Sorry, Imogen Heap. Yeah, love Imogen Heap, but I, I think that there is a better parallel universe where Imogen became, like, a giant star. Yeah. Uh, and that is the, that's the universe that I'm trying to tunnel into. Yeah, well, I think it's we're got... trying
1: to tunnel there with this podcast.
0: <laughs> trying. We're digging through the multiverse.
1: Eating that chapstick.
0: Uh, so let's uh everything bagels galore. Let's push into the second half. All right, part two. Part two, which is technically part three, and we're gonna we very naturally. I didn't try to do this. We're just we, so we kind of just, just mind natural. melding. Uh-huh. Uh But there are some themes from yeah. part one mm-hmm. that are gonna uh, be reworked into here. Okay. So we're talking about work wife. Yeah. So I couldn't help but think of the most famous work wife uh, depiction in media.
1: And who would that be?
0: Jim and Pam.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, it became real wife.
0: Did become real wife. Work
1: wife to real ri- wife. Which I think is problematic. Oh, yeah.
0: Oh, so my Well,
1: I think that the, the phrase, because I've heard people say
0: uh-huh.
1: work wife in all seriousness in front of their-
0: uh-huh. Yeah. Partner. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And I would be so offended.
0: Upset. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't Yeah.
1: I mean, I've never had a normal enough job to have, to have a work, a work wife.
0: wife. Right. I've just but had like what...
1: my fellow sufferers.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> uh yeah, I mean I think it's a thing that the normies are doing. Uh and that's why so my my thesis here yeah. is that the office Accidentally destroyed society.
1: Okay. Well, so my immediate react yes. is: I do, I do think the office is it's very funny, funny, but I also find it. So I think it's a funny and very good TV show, right? Um, I do not understand how it became the core personality uh-huh. of half of the people. I like fifty percent of the people. Yes. Peep, of people.
0: <laughs> yeah. The 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 personality thing, and I think that I don't think it's on purpose. I uh-huh. I am not doing like a, I'm not gonna I'm not doing conspiracy corner. I don't think it was a deliberate act to make like um you know capital seem more friendly and appealing, and it's like a family to like all of the people. I uh, think that okay. it was on accident. I think it was an oopsie. I think it was an oopsie because like Greg Daniels. Um, it was like first the, in the
1: UK, it, it
0: warmed yeah. its way over here. But it's uh, it's like Wait, it's Greg Daniels, yeah,
1: the guy the Ameri- that did
0: uh, Upload,
1: Upload, and um, uh, The Good Place, The Good
0: Place. Yeah,
1: I didn't which, know that. Well, he's a genius. Yes,
0: Greg Dan. So, the, and, well, he didn't
1: mean to do that. <laughs> no, that's why
0: I'm like, okay, I think that this was an accident. Yeah, because uh, Upload is just a an endless riff on like how big tech is going to destroy society and that like the failings of capital and yeah very it's ironic that it's only
1: on Amazon Prime right but uh, anyway. well Amazon
0: because well, Amazon Amazon actually like Amazon oh, they're telling
1: us what they're doing as they're oh, doing yeah, it yeah yeah, yeah. I know they do that we are they buying Roomba we, to see we, your house, house inside yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 they're
0: just like eh they're we're it's real it's real confident energy uh-huh. from Amazon They'll just, like, flat-out host, like, socialist agitprop and be like, doesn't matter. <laughs> Thanks for the money. Right. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I think it's an oopsie. I think that it comes from the fact that, like, the first season of The Office was very cynical. Uh, and mm-hmm. then just through writers... Going like we need this show to be likable, right? So we can't have Michael Scott be literally racist,
1: right? Right, <laughs> that's
0: uh, we have we to have so- make we him lovable, to, we have to make him lovable, yeah. But then the accidental, like, whoopsie uh-huh. of doing it is that you've created this uh, this kind of mythos of um my my office family is uh-huh. just another family. Yeah, Like, look at how Michael Scott actually loves his children.
1: Well, and I think a lot of people work for lovable idiot bosses that yeah. are bad. I mean, we have. You and I have worked for a lovable idiot <laughs> boss, man. Uh-huh. It, yeah. it was part of when we bonded and became close friends. And right. so to that, we did, ha- you know, there was a... Work-family aesthetic, and this is doing live sound, right. um, and we would bring sound systems to various events, um, all everything from step shows to Little Dicky show to uh, uh, seek day um, gathering of techno, yeah, seventy-two hour techno, um, uh, uh, charismatic Catholic events where good. there's TV preachers talking in tongues. Um, It was a very eclectic mixture of shows with a cast of characters that we worked with.
0: But I would argue that it was bad.
1: Certainly. That's why we both left.
0: Yeah. Um, And that's
1: why eventually I think basically everyone, except for a few Uh stragglers, have left that environment. Um, and, And I think that the journey of deciding it was bad was an important one for both of us. Right, because you enter those environments when you feel lost, mm-hmm. and when you work your way out, I think it is a huge growth. I don't think that's a storyline of any of the office of, characters exactly. except for Ryan, maybe.
0: No, Ryan got punished. He gets. He goes he back. Gets, he goes back. That's the <sighs> thing. So it. That's the. That is the thing about the office and what the office is accidentally doing. I will go. Accidentally, for all of you Dunder Mifflin heads out there, they they, it's a constant story of people being punished for trying to live a life outside of the office.
1: Yeah, because Pam tries to do the Pam tries to
0: become an artist. Yeah, and then is like that is is like viciously mocked. Yeah, and not um, it's the the audience is supposed to be like in on the joke against Pam. Mm -hmm. You know, uh. Ryan leaves to try to be successful or start his own business um, and then does uh, cocaine fails flops and then winds back at Dunder Mifflin. But
1: then I think there is maybe the only redeeming, if we're going to just zoom out (laughs) the entire arc and say whether or not it was an intentional, you know, I think the redeeming moment is maybe that the off it is itself is not a safe like it, If the whole time we're painting that like anyone trying to step outside of their Uh boring, um, monotonous career and do something exciting is punished, then I do think at the end those that are that hold company true that are uh you know they they're also punished, right? Because don't they go out of business?
0: Are they they out out of money? Dunder Mifflin. I might have forgotten how uh, this ends. Okay, Dunder Mifflin Corporate. Yes. goes out of business in, like, season six. Okay. But then the Dunder Mifflin-Scranton branch, in which no one has left, mm-hmm. is absorbed into a series of larger companies. That's when we have, like, the Robert California story. I never line. really watched yeah, those seasons. it's not great. Okay. But the thing is, is that Dunder Mifflin-Scranton, in which Pam, Phyllis, uh, all of the Offit Creed... Uh, the yeah. weird one, Dwight. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh they don't leave uh-huh. and they are rewarded for not leaving. Uh-huh. All of the other executives abandon ship, uh, and they are punished.
1: Oh, and then we've like flash back to them and they're like weird and sad, doing yes. weird like they're David, doing... whatever. Yes, he's like doing.
0: making like a magnet company or something, and it's set. Sa- it's like uh it's the set sa- he uh he actually seeks out Michael Scott. Yeah, y- you know because he's sad and he's lost his way. And he was like a powerful executive. He leaves the company and is punished. There's another executive. It happens like off screen. They retire from Dunder Mifflin and then they're decapitated by a semi truck. Oh my God. There's a constant, you leave the office and you are punished. Yeah. If you like marry outside of the office, you are punished. You're rewarded for marrying Pam. Uh Uh-huh. You know, uh, Everyone who leaves is punished, and Michael Scott is benevolent and your god daddy. (laughs) Your weird, weird
1: god daddy. (laughs) But I mean, so what do you think? What is your zoom out of what this
0: has done to society?
1: Well, is it what it has done to society, or is it a problem with how many people it resonates with to the degree it resonates with? Because I, you and I both think it's a funny show. Yeah, it doesn't resonate to my core in in that it's not my. You know, uh, if you if you have ever uh, had the misfortune of finding yourself swiping on a dating app, I would say that most of you have probably noticed that it is a high probability. Yeah. Yeah. Um. It's a high probability that it's going to be in someone's in their copy that their co- your personal copy is uh, might include uh, reference to the office.
0: Yeah, so that's what I'm. That's where I'm like, I think that it's accidentally given brain poison. I don't
1: think it's the office's fault. I think the problem is more the the the, the uh, people identifying with that as their core.
0: Well, I think that I, I mean we're gonna do chicken or the egg here, uh-huh. but I think that the entire media perspective shifted because I mean like what office comes out in 2004 I think and I think that work sucks I mean work sucks I know was the hook
1: roses by the stairs
0: yeah that's one of the that's one of the biggest hooks of the 90s and I think that uh and then you know things like slacker uh and just Clerks. I'm not even supposed to be here today. These (laughs) are classic. uh, I think that within culture, it Uh was very acceptable. When did the
1: dude happen? Um, 97. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that is kind of the 90s. Was like.
0: It's like we're we're very productive, Uh and that's to say that you know we look at the the bad Reagan graph of like productivity to wages. You know, I think that it was accepted that like workers were very productive and brought in like high earnings to companies, Mm -hmm. but they weren't compensated. uh, And it was therefore appropriate within culture to go, I fucking hate my job. And you could like say it to people and you weren't like LinkedIn friends with your boss. (laughs) uh, And you didn't have to think about every single thing that you said or did like out in public. Cause like, oh, what if I make my boss sad, you know? It was just acceptable to say, "This sucks." Yeah. And now we're in a place where, um, like, have you read any of the quiet quitting stuff?
1: Is th- that's on the um the subreddit that that the, the, the anti work?
0: Uh, okay, so anti work, but no, no, no. Quiet quitting is what the mainstream media has started. Like, they they're right. You know, like, is when- that when
1: you ghost your boss?
0: It's not when you go, see, that's the thing. You're like, a, you're, uh, okay.
1: It, I don't it's know. Like, it's like the, the
0: avocado toast of, you, you know, like millennials can't afford houses. Right, because they're eating, they're eating
1: much. so many avocados. Uh, uh,
0: millennials are <laughs> quiet quitting. Avocados where,
1: aren't that expensive.
0: Right. <laughs> so the thing is, uh, so quiet quitting, and, and there were like all of these like breathless articles being like these millennials are quiet quitting. But then when you, when you read what it is, is it's just that you do your job and you only do your job, which is literally what you're contracted to do.
1: Right. You don't go above and beyond. That's quiet quitting.
0: Yeah. You don't go above and beyond. You You don't go below. You don't go below. No, you literally just do your job. How is that quiet quitting? Because you're not trying hard enough. Why aren't you committing to your Michael Scott daddy? Right. Yeah. I mean, people. Wh- oh, you're you're abandoning your family. Uh huh. Yeah. You know, this is a moral panic. Right. You're, uh, you're not. I mean, you're not not doing your job, but you're not putting in a hundred and ten percent. You're not 100. wearing. Uh, I mean. You're not wearing
1: enough flair. You're not wearing enough flair. Is that gonna be where you go in office space? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: (laughs) Again, work sucks. You know, Uh that's that nineties? That's nineties. Wow. Okay. There's a fundamental shift in workplace attitudes. And I think that I mean, I think that media is informed by society, but also society is informed by media. And is this all the office's fault? (laughs) Maybe. It's just uh it's it's a huge shift. In five years, and you're putting in, it in all on
1: Greg Daniels. I'm putting it. Accident- Come on, look at his follow ups.
0: I, I think that I think that it, those are apology tours.
1: Yeah, you I think, think the Good Place and I think uh,
0: I think upload? that Upload is an apology for making The Office. Yeah, and making like a fascist capitalist bootlicking shithole, like <laughs> on accident, because it was just like it was just funny. It uh-huh. was a funny show and funny characters. But then when you're when you're like you're going to work and you're like. That's a Dwight. That's a, that's my uh, Michael. That's I mean, my Jim. So that's I think my Pam. A mixed... You're you're like you're you're just like disassociating from what it is to be a human being.
1: Well, okay, I, I I don't know. I think that there's like showing the lovability of a group of misfits that are, you know, have this bond that they form over time with people that you maybe wouldn't have liked otherwise right. or known otherwise. There's there's beauty in that. That's why the show is funny. That is that is the core of what is cute about the show. Um, however, I think that the thing people identify so they hard with... They made
0: Andy the boss.
1: I stopped. I don't think yeah, I saw
0: that. they made Andy the boss. Why? Why? Because he you know? stayed... They he stayed and he was rewarded, and he was made to be the protagonist and lovable. Did he get
1: Aaron? Yes. No. no that's just unrealistic. Uh huh. They just
0: ran out of ideas. No, he was rewarded. Uh-huh. It's like it's kind of incel like in a way. Like this is just a series of men just like constantly trying and pressuring and being like I deserve my work wife and then they're rewarded
1: yeah well I mean I do think with Pam there's a a reciprocal but she was dating someone else she
0: was engaged to someone else yeah and Jim gaslit her and Uh sabotaged her relationship right it was actually bad yeah it's actually bad Uh uh-huh and again because everyone is we're just like we're living in this reality where you have to stay in the office and you're punished for leaving the office and your only options are to fuck someone at the office (laughs) and it's not bad. It's not a problem. Don't go to HR. That's Toby. Toby sucks. Yeah. Right. (laughs) (laughs) He's only the one that is actually, and again, Toby is routinely punished for trying to leave or trying to make anything change within the office. Uh Uh, which is funny. It is, fu- <laughs> and again, very funny. Right. But was it horrible bad for society?
1: I I mean, I tend to lean towards it is actually that the the horrible bad comes <laughs> from outside of the TV show The Office, and is more the the issue is that there's something going on in so many people's lives that it has become. A core part of how they think about themselves is defining um, their life around identifying with that show or characters in that show. And it's to the point where it is part of their bio and how they are looking for a, a life partner.
0: Yes. It's very bad.
1: Hmm.
0: But uh, so it's just like, <laughs> What is the shift? I mean, I guess that there's, um, I mean, the two thousand eight, uh, like economic catastrophe. Mm-hmm. So, is it that I we're mean, I think so nine eleven?
1: S- we're all going to war. Is a little bit got to do more productivity? You know, right,
0: right. Uh, is there is it just like a baseline fear that everyone's operating out of, and, and that then to seek refuge with a work daddy is seen as the only. Uh, like safe route.
1: Well, I th- also think that work daddies have become more powerful. It it, it it was it's just harder to start your own thing, I believe. Yeah. Today, I think it's harder to be a small business, <laughs> to be an independent owner of a uh, uh you know, something outside of another company because if you are successful at all, people get swallowed up. If you have any sort of any modicum of success, then a larger cor- corporation will, you know, offer to buy right, you buy out. Buy it out. Yeah. And um I don't blame people for taking those offers, but it is I do blame society for not monopoly busting to the point where we've gotten to this place where it is um so incredibly discouraged to uh do anything outside of just find your work daddy and i don't know what i don't
0: know where we go i I mean the thing is the like society wouldn't function if everyone ran their own business we're not like a libertarian uh like sovereign citizen series of independent nation states right that that go through like someone uh, you i think that you you know There are people that are going to have to work for somebody, but I think that you should have the right and the mindset to go like, fuck you, Uh you know, uh, this sucks. I do not want to be here. I think that it should be it should be socially appropriate to say that I do not like my job and. I think that's what I do, that's what I I have a you know a problem with.
1: And there's nothing wrong that's with that if someone valve. says I don't like my job to say well are you striving to find a different job or change your job like do you think that that's bad? Um I think that
0: sure you can find but I think that the the reality of the situation is that you know you could be in a position where you have to work a job that of you course don't like. of course yeah
1: yeah i mean i think that the like we all want to go home should just be a given at all times
0: yes even I if want... you
1: like your job like even if you like what you're doing i yeah. still like want to go home and understand if other people want to go home
0: right and i think that the the, the autonomy is what's being robbed because mm-hmm. the the current like expectation and culture is okay, you're going home, but I might give you a call later. Yeah, and, and d- or like, don't
1: you miss it? Don't d- you mi- you? I want you to miss it when you're not here. Don't
0: you want to go to the work party? You know, <laughs> like we we're gonna do work, but you know, somewhere else. Yeah, uh, it'll be everyone from work.
1: It will just bond. somewhere
0: else. Yeah, but don't you want to? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then. You know, then we get into like, bo- like workplace bonding, and then we're like right back into like fucking Nexium retreats, <laughs> right back to Nexium.
1: Right, yeah. I mean, I think that there is a reason that it that uh, uh it goes this way. I think it's really effective to have a tight knit uh group of people as your employees. Well, yeah, because I, mean, it's I think a, it's the closer effective they are, because.
0: Well, they're close, but they're also not discussing their wages. They're close, yeah. but they're not organizing against the boss, right? Then they're it's a problem. close. They're close, but they're not.
1: Well, that's like so. The person that we both worked for—that was our Michael Scott in many, many ways. Very similar. Uh-huh. Um, and he, uh, would in just he wanted everyone to be very close, and he would, um. Encouraged constantly spending time with each other. Uh-huh. Um, however, he would also seed whenever he had someone alone, some sort of drama of saying someone said something about you, kind uh-huh. of just to keep it that you didn't feel too close at any time. That yeah, so you the- felt close that this was your core group of people that you were going to spend the majority of your life with.
0: Uh huh.
1: But that you also couldn't trust anyone fully. So if they said he did something bad, then maybe
0: maybe they, they are aren't. bad. Yeah, yeah maybe which they is aren't. like literally like a Michael Scott thing.
1: Yeah, and it was um he he definitely like it was very effective with certain people. Like I would say you and I were not very we would just talk to each other about it. if he would yeah. say that one of us said something, we would talk to each other about it and then be like
0: naughty oh, naughty, he did geez. it again. <laughs> we
1: knew what he was doing, but some people really would oh, fall they would fall for it for, for sure. It. Yeah, uh,
0: and, and it's very effective. And I would say bad. Mm-hmm. Like that's the that's the thing. So I think that there are all of these, uh, because on the grander society, because you have your work family and you don't want to betray your work family by like talking about how work is bad. Uh-huh. You know, that's that's a very effective method of like. Control. Yeah, and it's uh, bad.
1: <laughs> so that's your whole thesis.
0: Yeah, that's my. The th-
1: office is bad. Th- actually, bad.
0: I think that the office is actually bad. I think that the office is very funny, but it was accidentally very bad.
1: And, um, what do you think about just the the work wife like that whole concept? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's interesting. to right. then that
0: well i mean I work think wife that, to real so like wife. work wife i mean i Pipeline. wonder <laughs> i don't think that work wife was really a thing in the like when did that set-
1: term start being said
0: was it what's the history Jim and so work spousing mm-hmm. has a history within labor that dates back to the 30s uh but in an entirely different con like you know construct. Okay. So the first time that we hear about a work wife is like nineteen thirty three and it's between a boss and a secretary. And that's more like I'm having an affair with my secretary. That's a madman wife. Sh- yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um this is just fucking uh where we see the platonic work the work spouse, work husband, work wife, uh is an article written by David Owen in nineteen eighty seven. She's okay. talking about like the social hierarchies within an office um, and that you will have like a dependable platonic uh, partner, be it of opposite or same sex that yeah. functions as like a tight knit, uh, intimate uh, relate where like, you know, each other's secrets and shit. Right. And a duo. You, yeah. A duo. Uh, and, you know, feminism happens. They're like, this isn't about fucking your secretary. This is, we're just uh, channeling our uh, eight-hour sexual frustration into getting work done. Sure, okay. Yeah.
1: And when does that hit?
0: Like the late 90s, early 2000s. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep.
1: And so that's when it's kind of like codified?
0: Yeah. There's a survey in 2006 where, you know, office workers are like, Asked, do you have a work spouse? And 35% answered yes.
1: In 2006.
0: 2006. I
1: wonder, have there been more since, or that was like the first kind of. That's everything
0: that I could find in Uh our five minute Google search. All right. Solid, (laughs) solid.
1: Interesting still, because it's around the same time. It's around the same time. Talking about the office kind of. But when did the office start coming out?
0: I think 2004.
1: Okay, so it would proceed.
0: Perhaps, yeah, perhaps.
1: Um, well, it's not preceding the term. It's a, the term but is it's, 1987. It's evolving as it, the as term a cultural norm evolves. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. But I, that's my question: is Is it reacting to a phenomenon that was experienced widely, and then then that is how distilled then people are just
0: into Jim and Pam
1: distilled into Jim and Pam, and then people are identifying with it because it is their closest representation to themselves in pop culture.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess that I, I kind of live from a art reflects life reflects art uh-huh. c- cycle. Yes. I think that art comes from life experience, but that then through like the, the lens of mass media that society will I, I think that society is changed by art and media.
1: Yeah, I would certainly. Yeah. yeah.
0: Or you know, you can like nudge. S- nudge.
1: I think there's a trajectory that gets nudged and that nudges do a lot in the grand scheme of Yeah.
0: Things. But I think that in order for the nudge to happen, it has to come from an organic place. You uh-huh. know, like uh, I don't Well, think I don't
1: know about that. I think people are always trying to artificially nudge culture.
0: I think that people are trying to nudge culture, but I I think that the core I think that for it to be effective, I think that it has to, like, piggyback off of a, like, a legitimate human urge.
1: I think that's a nice thought. I think that it, for it to be effective, people need to identify with it. Is that what you mean?
0: I think that there has but, to be a core psychological. I don't think that like you can manufacture something out of nothing.
1: Uh huh. I, I, it has I to play upon It a, has
0: to play upon an innate human urge. Right. I, I do think so.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, I
0: don't think that it comes out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, like you
1: can't invent like an any, emotion, Any
0: propaganda can... is going to rely on an, an innate bias. Yeah, like you can spread an it, and, and it can and it can be amplified, uh-huh. and you can, um, through if you get a very dedicated following of people, they can convert their friends and family, uh, but it. Someone is feeling it in a legitimate way in the first place. Mm-hmm. Has to. That's fair. Yeah.
1: Okay. So, um, that's the evolution of work wife. I wonder if work wife was a work wife. If if our our subject of this episode.
0: Oh, that'd be good. That'd be good lore. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Write in. I don't heart radio pod at gmail dot com. <laughs> I'm a work wife. Let us know. Tell us your work wife stories.
1: Um, do you identify with Pam? Are you a Jim? Are you a Todd? Is Todd a person? I, I don't think there's a, a Todd. I think there is. I think he's is there the, a Todd? I think he's the really wacky one that comes in occasionally. That's Creed. No, 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 no. I think there's a Todd from another uh, department or office, and he comes in, and he's like, no one likes him when he comes around.
0: Uh-huh. Is there a Todd? Is there Emails. a Todd? <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: is there a band that we should know that we aren't talking about? What have we done? Have we missed a band that's putting out music that's really cool and their music is awesome? And um, we have not done an episode and you're waiting to hear our incredible insights about them by guessing things based on very little information on the <laughs> internet? Um, write us in. Uh, I don't heartradiopod at gmail.com subject line. <laughs> Todd. 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 Subject line: Todd, please. Okay. Um. Please follow us on the social medias. There's a uh, Instagram at I don't heart radio pod. I am at somewhere like the season music.
0: I am at a ton of underscore mastering. All right, and uh, we'll
1: see you next week. How can you be so cool?